It's that time of the week again. Oh my goodness, it's time for a thing. That's right, we're doing a thing. We do this thing every week. You think we'd get a solid intro in by now, but no. Gotta keep you on your toes. What up? Maybe one day we'll have an intro going thing of tears, but it ain't today. It ain't today. It probably ain't tomorrow. It's probably not a week from now. But we'll get there. <laughs> Eventually. When we have time to script things out better. Yeah, time is the uh, pinnacle of all and the bane of my existence. Yeah. I, I know the feeling. You even lose an hour and it sucks and <laughs> now I just feel like I lose more time. Okay, so I don't mean to get political straight out of the gate, but fuck Benjamin Franklin. No, I don't even say fuck Benjamin Franklin, all right? I this more was look his at it fault. as. I look at it more as. I can understand for the times they were in. Okay? It's for trains. But, it wasn't for farmers, it's for trains. No, that was time zones. Time zones were for trains. The same with daylight savings too. It wasn't just for farmers. It was more designed around trains. To keep to to help them keep more on schedule too. Yeah, well, this is America. Arch nothing's on schedule. It didn't work. Let's all get rid of it. Yeah. So losing an hour has been fun. End, hashtag end daylight savings time. Let's just make this the time permanently. Yeah. Where where we get more daylight. It's not dark by five PM anymore. It's great now that, you know, our bodies have adjusted because mine still totally hasn't. And do you want to know, do you want to know some fun facts about daylight savings? People are more or less productive the next day. Well, yes. I mean, that is a given even when we gain an hour, but the economy always dips on daylight savings because everyone's just not as productive, but also um, it throwing off our circadian rhythm makes us four times more likely to get into car accidents today, like following the, the big change in either direction. Oh, man. And think about how long I made of a drive today. Yeah. I was a statistic waiting to happen. You really were. And I was out and about today and I almost got hit four times. So <laughs> I, I, I used my horn a lot today. Luckily, I didn't have that. I was, even though I took I-45, I uh, did not luckily have to use my horn at all today. And it was nice. Oh, so apparently I got all the bad driving karma today. I see how it is. Well, like, on my way in, it's not bad on a Sunday morning. Even driving through downtown, I made five minutes. Not bad. Yeah, that's home, pretty solid. Took about took about fifty minutes, which still isn't bad. There was still quite a bit of traffic, some really weird areas that people just stopped for no reason. But it wasn't horrible. I got around decent people. There you go. I, think I, I was, was the not that fortunate today. <laughs> I was not that for. I was trying to be the asshole, like bobbing and weaving and chucking and jiving, but there were too many stupid people on my commuting around today to avoid. And some tried to really hit me, too. I swear they were doing it on purpose. Well, I've learned, depending on the vehicle I drive, 
is weird how the people around me act. In my car, people like aggressively drive around me because I'm small. I'm smaller than most of them because my car sits lower to the ground. Mm-hmm. But today I drove my wife's car. It's higher up. And nobody rode my ass. <laughs> it was great. There you go. See, for me, my car's, my car's weird. It's a hatchback. That's why. It's not a hatchback. It's a crossover. And, <laughs> and I'm going to post a and, Twitter poll. We'll just see what the internet yeah. says. Okay, fine. We'll leave it to the internet. Leave it to the ether. But for me, my car... I, I'm usually driving my car fast. I'm being honest with our listeners here. I'm a, I am a bit of a speed demon, as one would say. So I'm driving fast. But because, because my car is small, people think that it's okay to cut me off while I'm going fast. So a lot of my driving is having to react to people cutting me off in ways, and, in ways where I really, really shouldn't have to be maneuvering. Because if you were a smart driver and you looked at your mirrors and you're like, oh, that car's coming up pretty quick. Maybe I shouldn't get in front of them right now. Oh, they have all the space behind them. I'll wait two seconds because it's all it's going to take for me to pass you. But then there are other days where people just get out of my way. So it's 50-50. Yeah. Yeah, I understand. But again, that's also also just driving anywhere. We're also in a city (laughs) where turn signals are optional a lot of the time. Or you put your hazards on because it's fucking raining. Ugh. Oh, <laughs> biggest my goodness. Of all time. I hate that one. I think the only time that's acceptable is if it is raining so hard, like a whiteout. All. Yeah, and at that point, I've, I've only ever driven through one of those once, and it was when I had first moved here. And mm-hmm. as I was, I was in a car that was just packed up, driving down here, still not familiar with how the highway systems work or what have you, and a whiteout storm happened, and it rained so bad for so long I ended up in Louisiana. Yeah. So and I wasn't things supposed like that, to be in Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, no. And in things like that, I can understand having your hat so people can see you. Because you can't see much. That flashing light is a lot easier to see at times in a condition like that than a solid light. Yeah. Because it's different, because it's not just a solid thing that could blend easily. So I understand that. Yeah, but we don't get those very often. At least we haven't been, except for not lately. Last like, hurricane. Last, yeah, the last <laughs> time I was in one was around that time, and yeah, that was acceptable to use hazards. Otherwise, it, there's no need unless you're actually pulled over on the side of the road, not driving. I mean, if you're driving with your hazards on, be in the far right. Be like in the, in the far right lane. Don't obscure traffic. Don't drive in the middle. Just go your pace. Hazards on. I get it. Something might be wrong with. But stay out of the way. Move, bitch. Get out the way. <laughs> That's our PSA of the day. Stay out of the way. Right. I see you on the highway. Get the fuck out of my way. Right. Go speed limit at least. Please. That's all I ever ask. Minimum <laughs> speed is the speed limit. Give me that. And for me, is if you're going to do the speed limit, just get out of the way. Because I'm not. I'm going to go faster. Well, no, but that's... Just kind of pay attention to how lanes are supposed to work, where you have your travel lanes, varying speeds, and then you have your far left-hand lane, which is the passing lane. 
And if I'm passing everybody, that's my lane. <laughs> so get the fuck out of it. <laughs> you know, in some states, that's actually illegal. And they will pull oh, you over for that. And it is, I, I think it's dumb, but I understand it. I mean, I get it. But I mean, if I'm constantly passing people, I'm using the lane for its intended purpose. Yes, but like for me, I use it to pass. And then if there's enough open, if there's space of opening, like I get, there's, I pass the guy and there's like no one in front of him back into the other lane and I'll just drive in that lane until I have to pass someone again. See, I, maybe it's the speed of which I travel. <laughs> I, I'm not going to be hopping back and forth between two lanes because to me, that's way more reckless than just staying in a lane constantly. No, where I only have to react as necessary. Well, but, but that's, that's what also you're supposed at the, to drive is using that left-hand lane as a passing lane so you pass them in that lane when it's clear to pass and get around them. That's how it's supposed well, I do to that, work. That's how it's supposed to work. Well, I do that go. more. Well, I do that like, more. That's not on, the reckless like, way to like drive. That's. <laughs> but I would just be going back and forth too much. <laughs> I don't think you understand. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. I mean, I'm regularly going pretty fast myself. I'm saying it's just it's it's easier if I keep that constant speed. Now, if it's like a two lane highway, like if I'm driving to like El Paso or other places in the country, which I have done, where I do stay in the right lane and then just pass in the left and get back over. But if it's on a multiple lane highway, I'm not as worried about it. Yeah, no, I still follow that rule because that's just what was ingrained in me. Yeah, I mean, not so much. much. It's a safer way to drive. Because if you keep that far left lane, if someone's going faster than you to come up on you, they Oh, then I get out of the way. Yeah, but they might have that reaction time to realize that you're not going that fast in that lane. That's why I, I stay. Do. That's why I pass it. <laughs> um, <laughs> been going 85, 90 miles an hour, still good openings. Maybe what you drive on, not so much what I drive on. You and I have two different roads or two different types of roads that we take. Yeah, because I mainly just drive highway. Yeah, and I do not. <laughs> Because a lot of the highways around here where I need to go are toll roads, and I just refuse. Yes, well, I also know ways around the toll roads, but then you just have to deal with the higher traffic and dealing with that speed. Which is fine. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. It depends on if it's actually quicker or not. Nine times out of ten, though. You'd be surprised how often a toll road will only save you, like, ten minutes. Yeah. Like, for me, I can justify taking a toll road if it's going to save me anything 20 minutes or above, depending on how many tolls I have to pay. Yeah. So like Sugarland, when I drive out to the south side, I could justify I can justify the toll road because I don't have to go through downtown. Yeah, and going through downtown is never But for example, pleasant. where I was this past weekend, um that does, is solely dependent on the time of day to go through downtown. Right. So, like, in the morning, if I have to be there, when I had to be there at, like, you know, 8.30 in the morning, I definitely took the toll road around. But coming home at 9 o'clock at night, I'll go you through downtown. Yeah, I just go through downtown. Because it's not as bogged down as it usually is. Except for when it's fucking closed on a Saturday. Well, how else are they going to work on it? If oh, I know. it's not on the weekends when people are actually doing things. Right. I understand. It's less, tra less traffic on a weekend. But 
we should probably get into actually talking about some of the things we decided we were talking about this week, huh? Probably be a good idea. Like the shit ass Batmobile, the Bat Stang. Oof. Or is it a this Bat Cougar? Is- <laughs> like, is it more based on like a Mercury Cougar? Like, what is it? Uh, I guess it's a Lincoln. It's a Bat Stang. Basically, the this muscle is- car Batmobile. This don't. is midlife crisis, the Batmobile. This is teenage angst, the Batman. <laughs> this is just going to be the Batman subtitle, teenage angst. A little bit, because, oh my god, my parents, let me take this gun and put it on my chest so that way I can always have a reminder of my parents' death as if like me not having my parents being an orphan wasn't a reminder enough. Here's a <laughs> the car is made with the pieces of the electric chair that killed the killer. Oh, Lord. Someone needs to stop Kevin Smith now. <laughs> but it's not Kevin Smith, it's Matt Reeves. Well, no, Kevin Smith was the one who gave the idea of the gun being part of the, uh, the bat symbol on the chest of the Batman suit. That was his doing. Yes, but wait, but what he did, but yeah, but he justified it. If you've have you seen what the reasoning was in the actual comic line why he did it? It was to it, the symbolism was that they would protect that since you know he failed to be able to protect them then, he was going to use what killed them to protect him now in the ultimate twist of irony. And then he puts it, he reinforced the armor on the bat suit with the gun metal because he actually melted it down. It didn't even look like that. It didn't look like the actual pieces of gun. He melted it straight down and used it to like reinforce his body armor. See, I would have been more okay with that than actually having gun chunks in, in the Bat logo. <laughs> yeah, it's like used in the Bat logo with what Kevin Smith did, but it's used in the way of it's with the body armor piece. It has a reasoning right. behind it. I just don't like the way it looks. And with it being Robert Pattinson, it gives me the reason to say it's Edgelord's Batman. Oh, yeah. I'm just waiting for the sparkles to start coming out of nowhere and watch Kristen so, Stewart make a random appearance into this. And it'll it'll be the shitty tri- the the shitty trifecta at that point. She's going to be Catwoman watch. Oh gross. With what's his name who played the werewolf dude? Oh, you mean Shark Boy? Yeah, him. He's going to be the new he he's going to be this Batman's like Harvey Dent. You're going to have the ultimate reunion of shit show. You're going to have shit posting the trilogy. Honestly, I'd probably watch it just for the shit post, but that's just because you have to commit. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a huge commitment into another reboot, but we'll get there. Yes, we will get there. Speaking of getting there, let's talk about XFL. <laughs> yes. The reason I say that is we are getting there. Week four had happened. And this is only about an eight. I think it's a ten-week league, so we're almost halfway done. Halfway there. Well, and the four and oh, Houston Roughnecks move on into week five undefeated still. Oh, 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 by oh. winning the Battle of Texas against the Dallas Renegades. Well, I mean, it's Dallas. Come on. And they thought they had us there. But we came back and won. We came... We came back and no, 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 not today. <laughs> we showed them that we are the superior city. In every single way you hear that, Dallas. Fuck you. Oh, hey, Nancy, <laughs> in other news, in other news. 
other news. Remember my prediction of the Vipers going to be in the finals? Yeah. Epic comeback starts right here. They won their first game. I'm so proud of them. They blew out DC 25 to fucking zero. Oh, hey, they learned how to football. I'm a Tampa Bay Vipers fan as of week three of the XFL season. I'm a roughneck for life, though. You know, day one roughnecks fan all these years. Mm-hmm. After but, all this time. But but I'm jumping on another team in the league as well. I'm going to make my prediction that the Vipers are just going to come out of nowhere, and I'm, I'm riding this train out. Nah, man, Battlehawks. I got my money on Battlehawks. We had a nail-biter in New York. Where the Guardians Ooh. beat the Wildcats 17-14. to 14. Oh, yeah, that's a... That's a close-in right there. And finally, those St. Louis Battle Chickens. Yay, Battle Chickens. <laughs> took on them Dragooners and beat them 23 to 16. Yeah, my Battle Birds. Hey, let's go. <laughs> Moving ahead to take a look at your week five matchups. Houston's going to take on Seattle in Houston. Oh, what am I going to do? They're going to show what? up. <laughs> They're going to stomp on some birds, but I like the Paddlehawks. No, they're playing. Okay, so the Seattle Dragons are going to be here in Houston next oh, week. Oh, the Seattle Dragons. I, I misheard Week five. Week Not five. Bad. Yeah, so week five, it's Dragons and Roughnecks. Then you have the Guardians checking out the Dallas Renegades, the villains, Vandals, them young whippersnappers up in Dallas. Rapscallions, even. You'll have the Battle Chickens and the Defenders, the Swords against the Shields. And finally, you'll have a primetime ESPN matchup. What? Yeah, because well, one because it's gonna be played in the West Coast, so it's a home game for LA. Tampa Bay is gonna be out in LA, but Ooh. it's a primetime ESPN game, which is gonna be, which is really cool for this league. And something I wanted to actually talk about for a second because the AAF started up last year, right? And they folded after like week week eight. They folded. They were gone. And they showed their games online and like on network affiliates and such. But the XFLs actually had some national broadcast time. Yeah, they're, this league is like, getting taken more seriously now than the other times it's been started like, up in the past. So the games next, so like week five games are on, you know, you, you had a game on ABC. You have FS1, Fox, Main Fox, FS2, ESPN, ESPN2. They're all carrying these games. This is huge. That's two major networks carrying your games. Yeah. And the Think XFLs, of all that ad revenue. <laughs> and it's people keep are still talking about the XFL. People keep talking about the XFL. I see it in my comment in mentions constantly. I see it more so than I saw the AAF in mentions. And that says something. They've brought something that is exciting. And heading into week five, which, as you know, that we are a week behind. We we, <laughs> we are. We're we're not but, saying nothing because we we're trying to keep continuity, and we can't but, just jump the gun. But I have to for a moment to bring this up. So week six. You know, you've got, and I was looking ahead at this just to kind of make my point. Week six has a game on ABC, a game on FS2 and on FS1. 
and then has a game on ESPN2 at 7 o'clock. So it starts at 6 our time. So okay. another primetime ESPN game. Exactly. A- Especially you're done barbecuing, you're ready to sit down and eat, got the XFL going. That's about as Texas as you can get. <laughs> like, you know, you got your 3 p.m. start times, your 2 p.m. start times, you got a 5 p.m. start time, and we're getting primetime games. Can you imagine if the XFL actually does go through with what people are saying, and if it's successful this year, expands to two more teams? Then you'd have another primetime game. Yes. You have one every week. This is kind of, ex- to me, it's exciting because it's something that actually has a chance. The AAF, I, I dismissed it. I thought it was more of a gimmick and... What happened was the XFL did it a little bit smarter with the target time. They targeted themselves enough time to get ready. The AAF jumped the gun, jumped in ahead of time, picked a bunch of non-NFL towns to try to build a fan base from scratch. Meanwhile, every team except for St. Louis, every city that the XFL's in has an NFL team. Yeah. If you actually look at it, Seattle has the Seahawks. Here in Houston, we have the Bulls, the Toros, the Texans. Yeah, be careful because Bulls is a whole other can of worms and it's a Look, soft spot for me right here's now. The deal. <laughs> I'm going on a sports rant for a minute. You remember how we oh, were Lord, talking here about we go. renaming? No, remember how we were talking about renaming the Roughnecks and something else we could have named them? And we really, yeah, couldn't think of anything? And, no, and I mentioned the Apollos and you could have reused the... The Apollo, oil derrick as like, as a no. what you could have reused the oil derrick to represent a launch pad and moved the star underneath to be the rocket blast. Yeah. So, the Texans are a prime example of a team that branded and has a market that it doesn't fit the name for. Okay. So. Okay. Dallas is already America's team, basically. Right. That's that's the saying. The Cowboys are America's team. They're definitely Texas's team. Yes. So why would so? I think a reason a lot of Texans, Texas residents, don't like outside of Houston, don't care about the Texans is because they tried to brand themselves for the state. Their logo is a bull's head with the state flag in it, and I think it is stupid. Oh, it's one of the dumbest logos ever. And this is where Texan. And this is where talking about, you know, what would you rename these names are dumb. The Houston Texans franchise name to me is a Madden creative team name in general. What do we call a team from Texas? Uh, let's call them the Texans. Good. Like no Good thought. meeting, guys. $100,000 idea right there. There's your bonus. Ready? <laughs> My Apollos. Apollos would have been perfect for that team to fit the, the space theme of the city that had the teams left. Since we couldn't use the Oilers, owner wouldn't relinquish the rights after he moved the team to Tennessee. That's fine. Whatever. Houston Apollos. And why do I say that? Houston has two teams already that are named after the after space. The Astros. Which, I know, I know. They cheat. I get it. One day we'll talk <laughs> about it. One day we'll talk about the scandal, okay? One day. We're, we're a busy podcast. Got a lot I have, going on. I have thoughts, but we're not getting into another sports tangent off a sports tangent, which is already going on too long. Anyway, we have the Astros you know. and the Rockets. The Apollos would have been fucking perfect because what have the rockets we're in space city, watched the Apollos, which held the astronauts. It would have actually been a perfect fucking motif. What have been? See, this but, is no. why they need to pay you the big bucks. 
But no, McNair wanted to call his team the Texan V. How? <sighs> anyway, enough of sports. Thank you. <laughs> Look forward to next week's XFL talk where we'll update the standings and rankings. Hooray! Because more, more will have happened. And you'll find out if the Houston Roughnecks went 5-0. and It's the drama. I can't take it. Oh, no. But ah. honestly, okay, so I have a question for you. Yes. The XFL. Okay. Would you consider it a reboot? Or a remake? A uh, reboot. Why reboot? Now, because the reason they... I ask, and remember, there was an XFL incarnation way back when. Right. And the reason I say reboot is because between the first time they tried to do an, an XFL of sorts, it was completely different to the product that we have. Oh, yeah, no, that was more wrestling than it was football. This is definitely more football. Exactly. So this is more football-based. It's not wrestling-based. It has a lot more fundamentals to actual football. It's not as much of a, I don't want to say like a show, but like a show. It takes itself more seriously, and it took all the critiques of the first iteration into consideration to make the XFL what it is today. So I'm going to say this is a reboot, because they, they were like, okay, we heard you. We're going we're gonna to regroup, and we'll come back in a while. And they came back, and it's been a much more pleasant. Yeah, I mean, I won't lie. I actually have a game on now and that's what made me want to ask what you would consider it was because as i watch this i consider it not only just a reboot of the nfl or of uh, the original xfl but it's also like a remade version of the nfl because of the way the point changes have been made too and the kickoff rule changes and such so it's kind of a sense it's it's a reboot of its own thing but a remake of the rules of something that it's sort of kind of filling the gap of not having okay I, I mean, it's not. I can't it's say a, it. it's like the same. It's like it's it's the same product as the NFL. In the end, it's professional football, and you still score seven points. You know, six points for touchdown, and you still make a point after. But they made some rule changes, so that would be more like a remade remake in a sense to the NFL itself. It's like football remade because it's a faster paced game. They've changed the speed and the clocks, right? Okay. So, like the XFL itself. I think it's a re it definitely is a reboot to itself. But to football as a whole, I think it's kind of a remade version of because it, it's a quicker-paced version. It's definitely focused on trying to get higher scores, making sure the game fits within a certain window, and it looks like they have a lot more fun than NFL players do. Oh, yeah. This, this is like, a, especially because it's also the first year, they're just like, fuck it, let's see what happens. I, I really like that attitude. <laughs> Like I really hope, and I've had this conversation with a couple of people who I've who who we've we've talked about this before, and I don't know if I've mentioned it to you, but like the XFL itself become a triple A football program. That'd be cool. That'd be a lot of fun. But so. we keep talking about remakes and reboots and remasters. And there's a reason for that. There is. The Final Very Fantasy Seven remake demo came out this past week. And I was not going to miss an opportunity to sit down and fucking talk about it because I am hype. I am hype. 
There's some things I'm sad that we're not going to see right now, but I'm still hype. I'm glad you're hype. I don't have a I don't have a horse in this race, but I played the demo. <laughs> yeah, you did. So, <laughs> for me, this is a completely different experience because I don't know if our thing of tears know this, but I'm I'm what I guess the internet calls a filthy casual. Um, <laughs> I think we've mentioned it at least once an episode for like the last six. Okay. So, but just in case we're not on the same page, um, and I've never played a Final Fantasy game. Ever. With, like, an exception of maybe playing 20 minutes of, you know, an RPG. Like, you know, with the, I think it was, like, maybe Final Fantasy 8? You played a bit nine? of 8, you played a bit of 9. But Honestly, I'm starting to think for you, the first Final Fantasy game I should probably give you to play would be 10. Because it's voice acted. So, either way. We don't have to talk about that right this Either way, like, I really haven't delved into this series at all. So, I'm playing the demo as someone is a newbie. Yeah. And I've, I've got some, probably some differing opinions on this. Just based off of my experience going into this not knowing yes so i guess i'll start us off for a minute with kind of talking about it here because for me it brought me back to feeling like i was <laughs> nine years old again oh baby cory because i got to sit there and when that cinematic started and i saw Aerith, and i was just watching her walk with get bumped and pick up the flowers through the new updated version of midgar with just the way it looked it just I gave one tear. One single manly tear just strolled from my eye. You're only allowed one anyway. That was your one for life. You didn't even it use it on beautiful. yourself. Yeah, I know. It was beautiful. Okay. And then it jumps to Cloud just flipping off the train with everyone else. And oh, and then you get the humor of Jesse and Biggs and Wedge and infiltrating the Mako reactor to go take down the, the Guardian at the end. And. Well, it was just, it was fun to see the way it looks and just kind of hit on my nostalgia for this game. So much so that I'm still tempted to just go rebuy it again for my Switch to take it with me places just so I can play the original again. Mm -hmm. I haven't yet, but it gives me reason to want to. However, it just, it, it gave me that nostalgia. And I really wish that, I wish I got a little bit more out of the demo. But it gave me enough to just commit to wanting to buy the game. You know, I got to play, okay. I got to get a good time playing with the battle system, got to play nice and smooth. I love the way they've kind of adapted the original ATB to the way this is. So you can still just kind of constantly attack it, but you can also use your ATB to launch your special moves and use your materia spells and use your items or your limit breaks. And I want to talk about that limit break for a minute because mine missed when I used cross slash. Really? So I lined it up, went to do it, and the thing fucking jumped when I went to shoot off my limit break. I, I went into the menu when it slowed down time. I got my limit break all set up. I got in front of it. He went and started doing cross slash to hit it, and it jumped. Oh, that's bullshit. <laughs> I was mad. So I switched to jipped. Barrett. No, so then I switched to Barrett, and Barrett had his limit break, so I just shot him with his, and then just kept using the thunder on him. There you go. You see, and it's funny. So I like Barrett. It's just, it's funny. Um, 
seeing everything here in the way they used Barrett put him in your party. The banter they got between those two and the way that's voice acted, it just it it's really well done. And I love the way it looks. It is beautiful. And I'm excited to see how they can justify giving making me pay $60 for essentially what's the first disc of the game. The whole just the entire Midgar section. So but I'm apparently excited. the side quests are gonna be as large as the game itself. Well, right? so what they've done is apparently is they've expanded upon it. So they've taken the original idea of what the whole Midgar section was at this point. And they're expanding it out. So that means, though, that you're not going to get anything outside of Midgar other than maybe a couple of flashbacks in, in Nibelheim or, you know, when you, apparently since Red 13's in the demo, it was in the game, but he's unplayable. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. If he's playable in the next part, you're not going to get, you may, you know, I'm curious if we're going to, if they're going to try and introduce Vincent a little earlier than, not, yeah, actually, if they're trying to introduce Vincent a little earlier than you usually meet him. If they maybe introduce Yuffie a little earlier, um, Sid, just some curiosities. Kate Sith, some curiosities I have as to what where they're going to fit in, or are they going to do fall into the dreaded trap of modern gaming and make them DLC to add into the game early? And I don't know any of what you just said. <laughs> yeah, like, All of that means fear. absolutely nothing to me. My biggest fear is we're going to get things like a play the game when Aerith didn't die DLC. You know, Aerith lives DLC. We're going to get Sephiroth mode DLC. And I'm, I'm terrified to see this happen to this. And it's something I can't help but laugh about and make jokes about right now. But the way modern gaming is, it's entirely possible because they've split this up so like they have. So we don't know when the next part comes out. They haven't told us anything. And then so are they going to EA us with microtransactions? keep us interested i mean probably that would be the capitalistic smart thing to do that's how most things run these days like you don't when you buy a game for 60 dollars, you get like the bun and the meat but then if you want tomato and cheese and other things to your your game burger that's extra i guess unless you're cd project red and give away a lot of that shit for free Good company. That's how it but, used to be, damn it. <laughs> I know. Release a complete game. Oh, wait. We're talking about this, and I'm saying that. Hmm. Anyway, those are some of just some of my thoughts. Okay. See, now for me, I, I don't have a horse in this race. Because I don't have the ties to nostalgia. I don't I shed a manly tear. I came in as a very neutral party to this game because I don't dislike RPGs. I'm playing Persona, I've, I've, I play D&D. It's same shit, just a different skin. That's <laughs> what I'm learning. You know, and there are some, there are some things about the demo that I, I enjoyed. Like, I think the cutscenes look absolutely fantastic. Um, the way that they were rendered, it, it gave me questions. So I was like, oh, who's this girl? What's this blue shit? Oh, someone stepped on her flower. Now she's sad. Now I'm on a train. You know, weird progression for me not knowing anything. And then as I'm as I'm walking through, like, so in, in terms of like how like the game controlled, it was very like I liked controlling the character, Cloud. And his He's, big sword. His sword is pretty badass. The, the buster line. sword. Okay, his buster sword is badass. <laughs> Again, I know absolutely nothing. Um, but 
the way that the characters controlled were nice. Like he had good weight to him. Responses were, you know, on par. There was no real, no real input lag or anything like that. I didn't like the camera though. <laughs> the camera made me so mad. It's so floaty. So, and with the way I always operate a camera, I, I'm, I'm a flicker with my camera. So I flick it. I don't control it. So for me, having that type of camera control and then having that translate into the game, we got, we did not get along. Yeah. See, I had the opposite. I actually really didn't mind the controls at all. Even the camera control, I actually did not mind it. It seemed fine for what, for how fast paced the combat was. And that's, I think, why it's so quick and no. floaty is for how fast paced the combat is itself. Well, which is fine, but if it's that fast paced and I just flick it and then the camera just way too fast right or left or way far up it's not because i'm like holding it down it's like i'm like nudging it and it's like and i'm like okay that's too far because i'm still trying to focus on you know what i'm targeting because i did flip between the two modes so i started in normal mode because i do like the more live combat actual inputs and thinking and going through all of that but i did want to try classic mode too just to just to see and i i enjoyed the classic mode i went back to the the live input though that to me i, I think that's just how i play how i like to play the game it, yeah it, I, it's keeping my interest more the targeting system and i had a little bit of issue um but we got we we finally figured it out together and yeah, I, for me it was like it was a fun time like i i didn't total party knockout i i, I was able to survive you know, flipping between the two modes. I, I know I set the timer for 20 minutes and because otherwise I would have gotten yelled at. So I, I knew that setting it for 20 was important. <laughs> and I mean, I had fun. Do I have the want to pick it back up and play it again? No. I know there's a secret ending, but I'm not, I don't want to find it. And I think it's just because like the demo played too much on nostalgia and not enough trying to capture like a new audience, i.e. me. Because I didn't so care. For Square, this game, I think, is solely is targeted to that nostalgic audience and to help introduce a new generation to Final Fantasy VII. And I think the trailer was purposely there to appease people who were worried about the game. And I think that's why we got the demo we got. Because basically, the, the demo is essentially just the first opening minutes of the game before they establish anything. All you get to know is the basics of... You're this mercenary ex-soldier named Cloud who's been hired by Avalanche as a group of eco-terrorists to blow up a reactor. That's all you know. And that's all you get at that point. So well, I didn't a little even bit get some of the names this. of that too. It's like I knew we were blowing up a reactor and his name was Cloud and I knew the but and that they were like vigilantes or like renegades. But well, outside they of that, Avalanche. I must have missed that. I was probably Yeah, they tell you they're Avalanche. Yeah, they actually tell you their mission and what they're doing is to save the Earth. And that they're going in to blow up the Mako reactor because it's running off of the energy and the life force of the Earth. It's running off of the life stream is what it's called, but you don't know that yet. But it's running, it, those reactors are drawing the power of the Earth and killing it. So the overall message well, of Final Fantasy VII is a lot about environmentalism. Well, but I mean, you do kind of get that, though, because the reason I like Barrett as a character is because big, hulking, black guy, tree-loving motherfucker. Like, oh, he's Mr. His... T. He's essentially oh, yeah. was Mr. T originally. Right. I, I can totally see that. And just the way, like, how he's, like, flipping out in the air, he's just like, do you not hear the Earth screaming at us right now? Like, we're here to help the Earth, and it's, like, draining it dry, and 
all and like what happens when you drain it dry everything goes like and like he has like this like huge like passion it's like oh he's just a big old softy so i mm-hmm. appreciate barrett as a character and he's the only one that i connected with well and that's the thing so cloud being your main character his story doesn't really pick up until you get introduced into tifa which you don't really meet her at this demo but like it's right after this after basically when this demo ends and you go into midgar and you meet up you meet up at tifa's bar you meet tifa and you start getting to know more about cloud because those two grew up together and then okay. a lot of cloud story itself cloud story is mainly told throughout the game so the game itself as you meet your side characters you learn more about their story as the game progresses and clouds a lot of the time is told through flashbacks so i guess spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen or hasn't played final fantasy 7 ever but is it really a spoiler Me? alert for a 20 something year old game well this is for your benefit that i'm mentioning it <laughs> Well, I mean, I appreciate but, it. <laughs> like for Cloud, you know, you find out throughout the story that Cloud's whole existence and backstory that you find out at the beginning is a lie. Okay. And you find out these things. You find out what happened. You find out who Zack is exactly. You find out their connection to Aerith in the past. You find out more about Aerith after she's dead. You find out Cloud and Tifa's backstory. You find out how Barrett has a, ha, got his daughter, Marlene. You find out Yuffie and that she's a ninja who's not a very good ninja. Or Vincent, yeah, that he's kind of kind of vampiric in a sense, uses a badass gun and is a man See, of mystery. Again, you're you're losing me because I again I don't I don't have a horse in this race, so you're listening to his names. Like, oh yeah, okay. Cool. Right, but see these are all characters and things about them that you find out as the game progresses like any rpg you start you get your characters throughout the game of course um, thank you but you learn more <laughs> about their stories more so than you learn about clouds clouds like i said is mainly told through flashbacks and that's more of how you see how sephiroth's character evolves as well from him being this like leader to this insane child of genova okay say i'm really hyped i mean there's a, there's a lot yeah i can tell you're you're way more this Final Fantasy VII was, was the first Final Fantasy I can remember. And, you know, it was the first 3D Final Fantasy. It was what, like, I had played six on the Super Nintendo. It's a great game. I still love six. It's, it's probably my favorite Final Fantasy now. But Final Fantasy VII, it's just one of my favorite games in general. Like, it's not my favorite Final Fantasy game, but it's one of my favorite games because it just resonates with me so well. I remember that story so much. It's probably because it's one of the very first Final Fantasies that I beat by myself, from start to finish. Well, I know a lot of a lot of people, and our thing of tears included. I probably have a big connection to this game because I know because I've hung around enough nerdy people over the course of my years, and the topic of video games come up in Final Fantasy VII, like always one of the pinnacles of arguments amongst my friends growing up and and how it was the pinnacle game is like they would argue about everything else but they would all come together and agree that final seven was like the game at the time which we just lost but anyways but like i like for me my favorite final fantasy game is still final fantasy 9 i think that's the first the perfect representation of what final fantasy is as a story it's an epic fantasy adventure with a ragtag group of characters that aren't all necessarily human it's a high fantasy adventure where seven and eight were very, very not high fantasy. So that's why I think nine is my favorite because it's more represents pinnacle of Final Fantasy. 
But seven is just an amazing game with a great story and an overall great message of taking care of the environment and not becoming a crazed terror eco. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. I need to say, I'm yeah. buying the game. Um, and I, I mean, will be talking I am about too. It as I play it, trust me, because I'm getting it day one. I'm as a result, I'm probably going to end up having to get it at day one. So talk to him about so we're both getting it day one, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah, no, I, like I am getting it day one. Like I'm putting a pre. Be so, here that also the means day that it comes out. I, that also means that I will be getting it day one and we'll be playing it. So we'll maybe do a play along when it drops. Um, maybe like I, said, just I will be getting it. I'm like going to put like 10 hours in day one. I'm requesting that day off of work. I'm not. I'm not answering my phone. I'm canceling all my plans. I don't exist. Okay. I don't know if I'm willing to commit to that, uh, but we'll we'll cross that bridge when we burn it. Because oh, no, you can just play as far as you get, and we'll talk as far as you get. But I'm going to be putting a lot of time into this game. And like I said, the, my attitude towards the game may change once I actually start to play it. I think once you I'm actually get. Yeah, because I think once the from what I have right now, what I have right now is like a teetering curiosity of the game. And like I said, just coming from a person that's never touched anything that's franchise whatsoever. So Ooh. for what I have right now, it's like I'm curious, but not enough to give a shit. So I will purchase the game and they're going to tell me why I need to give a shit. And we'll find out oh, how that goes. Yeah. I mean, it's unfortunate. Like, I think with. I think depending on where this ends may give me a reason to pick up the classic Final Fantasy VII to continue the story for conversation's sake. Depending on how interested you become in it. Yeah. I mean, we'll find out. Because I didn't think I would like Persona and it's slowly becoming one of my favorite games. Uh, <laughs> so, it's just, I mean, it just depends. And it's all a matter of me like actually like working through it and what type of emotions it gives me and we'll go from there. But I won't know until it's here in X amount of years. <laughs> yeah, I won't lie. Like, Tales of Vesperia is a game I'm currently playing. And it's starting to grow on me as a just a game that I'm overall starting to kind of put into my ranking of story-wise good games. Because far what I've got is they use, like, materials to create magic, but girl in your party doesn't have to use those things to make magic, so she's special. That's about where we're at mm. right now. Okay. I just got this cute little feisty mage. Oh, yay. I love Feisty Mages. Did, Did you name you know, her Yennefer? I can't name her anything. They have preset names. Oh, that's no fun. Well, they're all voice acted anime based. Oh, wonderful. I, I basically have Anime Bay the party in, in, in a bit here. I have me, <laughs> my blue dog, and two Anime Bays. Oh, that's... You know what? I'm not going to make that comment because I don't... <laughs> yo, my blue dog got a pipe, yo. Your blue dog's a B-O-double-G. Yeah. Repeat the G. I made the mistake the other day of playing the game in English instead of Japanese like I normally did, and now I kind of want to be playing it in English. Oh. <laughs> well, especially since I started looking at the voice cast and realized that Troy Baker actually does the voice. Um, well, well because that's Troy Baker, guy. and Troy Baker does the voice for everything. Yeah, so I, I was like, all right, I'll keep listening to it. But anyway... I brought up the idea, the talk of the Final Fantasy VII remake that we've talked about. So we've talked about a remake. We've talked about what we consider both a, a, a what we've both have considered at least a reboot in a sense. And I wanted to talk a bit about that. What defines the difference between a remake and a reboot? And what's are some 
decent examples, Nancy. Okay, so <laughs> we're trying something new, and it's just called a conversation. What we have those now? Yeah, something I didn't about sign up for this. Just a single topic that we can actually maybe talk about and come up with a definitive answer, just like we did with Mr. Anderson about the anime ban. We're going to come up with a definitive answer as to some good examples of remakes, reboots, and remasters across all media. So we don't have to say it's just movies. We can talk about anything. Okay. So I think a remake is something that tells the story, but in a fresh way. Well, I mean, hold on. Let me, let me rephrase that because it's already wrong. I, I, think think a re I, I think a remake... I think I know what you're trying to say. Um, so, uh, that a, so, a remake is... It's telling a story with a fresh take on it. So it's telling an old story that we all know and doing a fresh take on it. I, I don't want to say, like, fresh take. Like, they're hitting, like, the reset button and just kind of mock. Versus a fresh take, which is, in my opinion, like a more of like a retelling, where you take an actual like fresh take on it. Where that would be a reboot, so, I guess. <laughs> yeah, reboot, retelling. So, the first example I can give for like a like a reboot is like Oz <laughs> versus The Wizard of Oz. You know, the well, one with Michael Jackson in it versus. So that one to me. Oh, The Wiz. Yes. Oh, The Wiz. Yeah, I know what I meant. Um, <laughs> Oz is the one with James Franco. Yeah, that one is and a remake. That, that one is no, that one's supposed to be like a prequel. Oh, oh yes, prequel. Which, we don't. I, we don't need to talk about prequels and sequels are not a part of this conversation issue. right now. That's, yeah, those that's are, a whole other issue. It's like a prequel reboot, is what that was, basically. Um, but yes, The Wiz. Um, that would be more of a retelling or a reboot of The Wizard of Oz, because, like. They had the base of the story be the same, but the atmosphere and like the like the world setting and some of the things that happens setting is completely different. Cast I'm not even talking about like how it was okay. AKA black and white. But you know, it's it's a different world, but with the same principles attached to it. And you still get right. the same story across. Okay. So that to me is more of like a reboot versus like a remake where you get the same story, but with like newer, shinier things. Well, I think yes to that, but that also tries to line up being a remaster because a remaster essentially is taking something old, updating it and making it look new and shiny. Well, there's a difference between having it look new shiny and then making it new and shiny so, because you can polish something up like the the lion king movie not the the continuing the animated one because i want to talk about the live action one the lion king remastered where they just updated the graphics and made it sound a little better that's a remaster pulling yeah. that from the disney vault versus the lion king live action that's a remake yeah, that one's that one is definitely more of a remake. A lot of the live action Disney ones are, and you and I have differing opinions on that. And I know. Yes, because I don't think all of them are. I think some of them are just are re are expanded retellings and don't fall into that category of remake because there's enough differences in them that it doesn't that while it's telling the same story, the ones they have rebooted are classic stories already. 
for the most part, Aladdin's a little iffy. I mean, it's based on the story of Aladdin and the 40 Thieves, but that's a kind of a Disney-fied version, but even that's an iffy one. I mean, you can even argue, because Lion King is just Hamlet. <laughs> essentially. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. It's yeah, Hamlet with lions. Essentially. Yeah, as I said, you essentially. You still get murder. You still get murder. Yeah, <laughs> so the Jungle fine. Book's literally a story about a book. It literally was a book. So it's it's weird how you can consider those. And we're we're gonna exclude the Disney stuff for now. Right. But for a remake, I look at this Final Fantasy VII remake as a good example of a remake. It's a story we all know and love, presented in a brand new way with an expanded telling. Okay. And so I guess that would qualify some of those Disney ones more as remakes, but it would. Hmm. Funny you say that. <laughs> but regardless, it, it presents something old in a new, fresh way. But I think a good way to put it is it doesn't change much, though. You know, it didn't change your characters up and it didn't change the story enough to make it different. It's just adding more to that story. Or I guess my argument with the Disney was a little different, but. <sighs> Like I said, the yeah, Disney ones are complicated. Your own logic hold. <laughs> the so. Disney ones themselves are a complicated subject because some of them are definitely remake, but some of them are more just retellings. Mm. That one's hard. <laughs> like I said, the Disney ones are tough because some of them are purely are remakes. Like The Lion King is definitely a remake. Beauty and the Beast is definitely a remake. Do we think the new Little Mermaid is definitely going to be a remake? <laughs> I think it's more of a retelling. I think it's going to fall into the into the Aladdin camp as more retold version of the story, not a remade version of the story. Because the Lion King I've is literally seen, the same movie. From what I've seen with the the little teaser trailer that was dropped on the interwebs, um, which is also what kind of prompted this discussion yeah. on top of Final Fantasy, so a couple of things have happened, guys. So. Yeah. With what I've seen, to me, it looks more like a remake because you, I mean, and we're still gonna get the same song. Apparently, they're singing, that's why they cast Ariana Grande. Um, and we already know there's Ursula. Yes. So we're still gonna have the same, like, villain. And, like, the only thing that m makes me think that they might take a slightly different spin on it was we got to see Top Shark. Um, outside of that, I, to me, I really do think that this is another honest. I don't think that they're going to add anything new to the story because if with the original story of the little mermaid Mer uh, Ariel throws herself into the ocean and because Prince Eric decides to not marry her and marries um, a different woman instead. That's right. like the whole, the whole thing. So, uh, so where I mean, else can you take that, it outside it's... of sea foam or happily ever after? <laughs> right. So outside of just changing the Disney version match, throwing yourself into the ocean, there's not much else you could change unless they change more of the story, like just in it in general, like add something new to it or something. I don't know. Cause like the Aladdin one, they added a lot of new things to it. They gave Jafar a different backstory. They added a little bit more to the genie focus and gave him a love story and all this stuff that they added in. That wasn't there. new moments, new, new things, new, completely new scenes that were added into it and reworked storylines and, that's why 
I'm curious to see because that one's telling the same story of Aladdin with a lot of new things, and I don't consider that a remake because it's still well, re- it's, think- it's a retelling because they, ex- they they changed a lot about that movie. Well, okay, so I'm going to give you my two cents on feel for Aladdin. They had to tread really carefully because of Robin Williams. I think had Robin Williams, if he was still with us, every day I wish I could like just have him back. Anybody? But if he was still with us, I think the live-action Aladdin movie would have been a true honest-to-God remake. But because he wasn't there and he was such an essential part of that movie, originally they had to redo it because otherwise people would have been big mad because people gave will smith a lot of shit when he was announced as the genie just because of robin williams alone. yeah but no he so killed I it think, yeah so which is great and you know he made it his own and i always will i like i've seen all of his movies even the ones yeah and he's um, still a funny guy yeah he's still hilarious he i mean i grew up watching him so you know biases be damned but you can't, they couldn't have just done a rehash because it would have made people really mad. So I think they ended up changing it more so because of Robin Williams versus anything. <laughs> you know, and be that as it may, and be that if that's the reason, you know, and that probably has a lot to do with why it's so different from the animated version in a way. But, you know, that's why I say that one doesn't qualify as a remake because it is just like a retelling. It's almost. It's not a reboot either because it's taking an animated. Well, maybe that would be considered like a reboot. It's rebooting Aladdin completely different. Yeah, I, I would consider because that Aladdin one's actually a getting a sequel. And so far, that's the only live action Disney movie to have a sequel announced, other than Maleficent's that came. Well, Maleficent, but that's a whole different thing. Maleficent, like we never really got an original story. We, yeah, we, she got introduced got as a villain. As a yeah, we just yeah. got her as a character, and then we got an original story to it, um, which is crazy. Because it's like the most original thing Disney's come up with in the really twenty years. long time. Really long time. Almost like my entire life. So good on you, Disney. Right. But yeah, so you I mean but so we'll see what happens with the live action Aladdin going on, but I guess that gets us to talk about remasters. Yes. So remaster a I good example, my- I think, of a good remaster. Is the Crash Trilogy on PS4, Switch, Xbox One. I think that's and a Spyro. good example of a remaster. So what's a bad example of a remaster then? Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> I bought that game when it came out as the remaster came out. I played through it. The character models look great. The summon, animate, the summon models look pretty good since they've been redone. Everything else is still... MIDI file and bitmaps. <laughs> Oof. No back the background <laughs> animation. The backgrounds didn't get resed up. The 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 animations for the summons, the actual effects and particle effects didn't get resed up. Then <sighs> with the backgrounds still being all polygonal PS1 era graphics, it's just ugh, they ported over the version of the PC port and but I'll give Square Enix credit because it was lost for years. There was never, it came out of nowhere to announce the remaster. It just, it had been lost for years. I never thought they'd be able to do it again. And then they found the code to a PC version. Woo! But, they good out. Of them. but luckily we've gotten some really good examples of remasters as well recently, and at least in the video game world. When it comes to the Medieval 4K remaster, the Crash Trilogy, the Spyro Trilogy, 
Um, those are some really good examples. But I actually like getting remasters when it comes to like animation too. When they clean up animation and make it look pretty on 4K TVs of older shows, those are nice too. Yeah, I mean, as some, you know me, I like the updated graphics because like a lot of older graphics and you know animation, sometimes it can be hard on my eyes. And it's just, you know, what happens when you're blind? So, I like, hey, I, like I said, like the Lion King. I, hmm? You just didn't grow up with having to deal with them. No, not as much. Like, so things that I can appreciate from ye olden days were like Super Super Mario 64. And it's just because it was just very bright. The brightest game on the face of the planet. And I will reach that to this day. <laughs> it is obnoxious. Oh, yeah. It's no, probably it one of the reasons why I'm so bright. blind. But I could see it. And I can still see it. And I can still play Super Mario 64 because of how bright the colors are. But once you like start to like get those textures in there then that's when it becomes more of a more of an issue for me. But speaking of Super Mario 64, I would like to know your opinion on the Super Mario 64 for DS. Where where do you think that falls in this category? Uh, that's a remaster. They changed a lot for it and really it's not even either cuz the graphics didn't get updated. It just added new characters. That's just like an update. New ways to play. It's almost like a like, DLC but you had to buy a whole game. So, well, because here's the thing. So they gave you the same game. It was full, the full same game. But then what they did was basically change enough for it to be like an updated, an updated release. I guess maybe a remaster would be a, maybe a good way to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, because what they did was they updated it, but they added three new characters aside from Mario. You could be Wario, you can go Wow all over the place. You could be Yoshi, or you could be Luigi Boy. And you had only certain areas that they could go, and Yoshi could wear hats to turn into them, and only certain ones could use certain powers. And yeah, I'd much rather just sit down and play Super Mario 64. Me just too. Much rather sit down and play it. I would love version, a remastered version, like or like an actual, no. honest to god remaster. I don't want Super Mario 64 remastered. You don't want to I play don't. Super Mario 64 with Mario Odyssey graphics. No, I want to play Mario Sunshine with Mario Odyssey update. I think Mario Sunshine is the better game than 64. I never had a GameCube. I didn't get to play Sunshine. Mario Sunshine did everything 64 did and did it better. Well, I know that. Okay, so I know that Sunshine is the reason why Mario Odyssey has that open exploration of how to interact with the world and find things and gain things. Because you had like the whole open world and like, yeah, you would have to like jump into certain worlds, but you could get whatever you wanted while you were in there. Yeah, if you saw a sprite and could get to it, you could and then you'd get kicked out and have to go back in. But then you had Flood and the exploration of Flood to use as the backpack character and you didn't punch like, you know, in Mario 64, you could punch people, you could kick things. I didn't, you know, Mario doesn't really punch or kick. It fell out of place. Yeah, and like the only time you would ever really use punching, I mean, you could use it to grab things, which I know is why they had the punching mechanic. Well, so, yeah, but like, so it was there. But I mean, we also got Mario break dancing in Mario sixty four. You can't say that like you didn't and like you didn't crouch B and go woo 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 like over and over again. You know, just making them break dance like whatever it is that you were doing. Was well, dance. yeah. Sure, I, I would do that, but again, I just would much rather play Mario Sunshine. It's just a much more fun, entertaining, and just 
better done game. I mean, you talk about bright. Mario Sunshine is probably the brightest game I've ever played. Once you get all the shine sprites back, you got to go get sunglasses and make it just look a little dimmer to even help your eyes playing on the game. It gets bright. Oof. It was the first game you could change Mario's clothes in because you could get the sun, sh- the, like the Hawaiian shirt with sunglasses and be in vacation mode. It was Yoshi's first writable appearance in a 3D Mario game. You could get different colored Yoshis, suck up fruit, and shoot up, like, I guess, vomit on things. Oh, that's great. You know, and you get 120 shines. It was great. I love it. So you would like to see a remaster of Mario Sunshine versus... Oh, hell Super yeah. I'd love to see Mario Sunshine. With maybe remaster. a brightness setting adjusting? Nope. No? You want to blind Even yourself with this one, too? Leave it as bright boy as you can. Make me want to make me want to unlock and beat. So the way it worked was the levels would get brighter as you got shines. And then you'd have the vendor who would be at the front. And once you got all of the shines in a level, you could get the sunglasses in that level. And once you collected all 120, you could get on the hub world. So it just gives you a reason to go through and complete boy the game. Okay. And it had some of the best... 3D platforming I've ever had in a Mario game, the way some of the worlds were done without Flood. So in some areas, Shadow Mario takes Flood from you and you have to run around in a platform area, and it's just really well thought out 3D platforming. Okay. And yeah, that is a game I'd love to see a remaster of. I'd also love to see a remaster of Parasite Eve. What is that? Kind of this weird sci-fi shooter game from the PS1 made by Square Enix. Okay. So that'd be fun to see because that's just just an interesting concept. It was based on like a Japanese novel and it was weird. That, no. Even better, give me Eternal Darkness. Okay. I want to see Eternal Darkness come back in a reboot or a remaster formula with a way to make it to where the fourth wall breaking moments worked well with modern TVs where like the volume thing looked like a Flander volume thing for like a Chromecast or something or um, the Wi-Fi you know, signal it, cut out or all of a yeah, sudden maybe, it said, Hey Google and your Google home mini went off like bling. <laughs> or, you know, it flashes to no signal or things or it tells you it's going to wipe all of your console's data. You know, it's going to brick your console is what it tells you. Things like that. That would be awesome to check. see that game updated with modern ways to fuck with you. I always appreciate games that want to fuck with you. Well, that game had a sanity meter and shit started happening when that got down. <laughs> like the walls would bleed and the floors would scream at you and Jesus. enemies would get tougher and their eyes would glow more and then you would die if it reached zero. Um, you, it would do things like the game would tell you it was deleting your save file. It would like show it would like reset the game randomly on you. It would start changing the volume up and down on the game when showing you like a volume bar for your TV. It would show you no signal on the TV. It would tell you there was AV cable problems. There Didn't was it also say like this program. is a game? Stop playing. You've been playing long enough. No, but it had a little fly programmed into this into the game wherever you hear it buzz on the speakers and see it walk across the screen. But it was on the inside, and it messed with you. 
It was a truly fucked up game, and I would love to see that game brought back in one way, shape, or form. And it was a GameCube exclusive. See, again, I didn't have a GameCube, so... One of the very rare M-rated GameCube games. Nice. Fat and Resident Evil, which was another GameCube exclusive. Well, which got a yeah. which got a remaster. Well, Resident no Resident Evil Zero and Four did not, and those were both GameCube exclusive. And I use exclusive very loosely for Four because it came out on the PS2 later. Oh, okay. But at the time, it was a GameCube exclusive, and those haven't gotten remasters. But Resident Evil One and Two, those have both gotten, and I don't consider those remasters. Those are remakes. Because that took those games and completely changed the way they played. Okay. Those fall under like the Final Fantasy VII style game remake because that took the classic Resident Evil games, updated it to the way modern Resident Evil feels with the control scheme from five and six, um, and then the way the zombies fought, the way you got weapons and such. And that they updated all of that. And look at the Resident Evil Two remake; it is much more creepy. It's got that more survival horror feel. The atmosphere is completely different. It's those are two. The story's the same, but it's completely different. And I'm excited to see what the Resident Evil Three remake remastered brings. Okay. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. And it's a weird one, but bear with me. Cover songs. <sighs> Where do you think they fall into this category? Do you think they're remakes? Do you think they're retellings? They belong in the Astros dugout. <laughs> I don't, I'm not asking for your personal opinion. Uh, I want to know how you would categorize them. They are someone different doing something that's already been done. So a remake. It's a re. You know, I don't consider those, I guess, a remake. I'd say it's rebooting the song because, like, the Atari's version is different from Don Henley's version of The Boys of Summer. Oh, hey, we talked about that song not that long ago. Um, Avenged Sevenfold's version of Paranoid makes me want to gouge my ears out and it's different from Black Sabbath's. Yeah. So I think it depends on the also- cover song. Yes. But I, I think I classify covers, like, strictly as remakes. Because you've got good remakes and you've got bad remakes. I, mean, remakes. I guess. Yeah, I, could, I guess I could see your point on that. But I personally don't really enjoy many cover songs. There's a, there's a couple I do, and there's some that are done really well. Like Shinedown's cover of Simple Man's a very good cover. Yeah. But then you get things like Avenged Sevenfold's cover of Black Sabbath's Paranoid or Five Finger Death Punch's cover of anything that they've Five covered. Finger Death Punch existing is the problem. That's like. Look, the their cover of that... The Offspring's Gone Away is probably the, one of the worst pieces of shit of music I've ever heard. <laughs> I understand and what you the... showed that to me and it was awful. And you know what? And I understand what their music video is. I understand the reasoning behind covering it. Their message out there is, you know, support the troops. And I get that. I get it. I get it. I get it. I respect it. It doesn't mean the music isn't a piece of shit. And that they should have just left it alone. Because that was bad. You can't take a punk rock, a slow punk rock song and slow it down even more to make it an epic metal ballad. You just can't. It doesn't work. Alright, you want to talk about another bad cover? Let's talk about their, oh, Five Finger Death Punch's cover of 
House of the Rising Sun. Ooh, yeah. We don't talk about that because it's that bad. The you don't bring one, that up in polite conversation. The only cover of theirs I enjoyed was their cover of Bad Company. It wasn't bad. It fit. I think I'm going to sound stupid, but Alien Ant Farms, um, Smooth Criminal. I enjoy cover. it. It's, it's solid. solid. I enjoy it for a lot of different. As a cover, it's not. All right. So as an actual cover song, it's really bad. But as just an overall cool, like groovy, like I like this song for really unironic reasons. It's a great song. Mm-hmm. Well, also, it's and I think it's a lot of it also has to do with the art. Because Michael Jackson is one that like is a at the end of the day, Kitty Diddler or not, I'm still on hashtag team didn't diddle. <laughs> I don't know. Macaulay Culkin took his side. I believe Macaulay Culkin. He was home. So, so anyways, I don't want to talk about that right now. But at the end of the day, we can't talk. We you can't ign- ignore the absolute talent that Michael had. I, I, I will still listen to his songs. And like there's just something about him that just like makes me, you know, just like makes my ears feel super happy. Just like hearing his voice and the way he like he made his music. Like he was a very talented individual. So you, when you try to encapsulate, you know, encapsulate that into a cover and the point I'll make with this one outside of Alien Ant Farm is Fall Out Boy, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. And they did a cover of Beat It. Their cover of Beat It wasn't bad. It's not bad. I mean, but it's not good either. And exactly. That's it's, it's still a Michael Jackson song that they're covering. It's on the, it's an on the fence. Yeah, that one's an on the fence. You want to know what the best version of Beat It was? Eat It, the parody song. Oh, yes, parody. That's a whole different conversation. That's a whole other conversation. (sighs) But on that note, Thingateers, I think we're going to go jump jump in and talk about the penultimate episode of The Witcher. Let's do it! Hey there, Thingateers. Have you been wanting to slide into my DM? Well, now's your chance, so make sure you talk to us at athinkpod at gmail.com. Here we are talking about the penultimate episode of Season one of The Witcher. Yep. It's, everything's hyped up, everything's amplified, shit just got really important really quick. We found out things that, like, all of a sudden, here we are, all in the same timeline. Yep, our timelines have officially converged because war time has happened, and we are talking about war, and everything has come to fruition, and our what you would maybe consider a flashback of an episode just is not a flashback, but just a call to episode of like, this is, this is where we were until everything catches up to now. It's like, Hey, you're probably wondering how I got here. (laughs) The episode. (laughs) So. A lot happened though. Like, I mean, so in terms of like Witcher content, I felt like I learned more this episode than any of the other ones. Like, including, like, backstories and all this other stuff, because I finally figured out, like, where people fall, like, in terms of, like, the, I don't want to say, like, the political landscape, but the political landscape. I mean, some of them fall flat on the ground. (laughs) Splat. But, like, to, like, see Yennefer, like, still appear, like, within the court, because she did hold a position within the court, and she still managed to get there. You don't get a vote. She's like, I would vote to burn this all to the ground. I'm just fucking here. Like, I respect that, because fuck the police coming straight from the underground. Like, she's she's kind of a badass in this, and she goes in and she just kind of wrecks shop. And I'm yeah. jumping around a lot, but, like, I really love Yennefer's story. No, story this line one this is episode. Really good. She's 
very strong. Very strong. And, like, independent, like, fuck this, but, like, she was inquisitive, and, like, she tried to get a man back, and then, like, got denied. Didn't work. She like, tried, like, hard, and all of a sudden, Bulberg. She got burned. She did. And, like, so, and I love his that. name. I like his name. It's so much. It's solid. Like, <laughs> but then for her to actually, you know, get back to, you know, get back to the schooling and, like, see where the school has come because it's oh, been a God. long time, many centuries, you she know. She walks into her old room. She does, and, like, she counted it and she's like, what are you doing in here? And then, like, they're like, plants! <laughs> if I had given her this excuse, she would have <laughs> been expelled. Exactly. And it's like, and then you also get to see, like, the differences in schooling and the fact, okay, so. I kind of got offended. Really? That they were paid for. Oh, yeah, see, and that was the point I was about to bring up, the fact that they weren't magically abled students. They were just, here's a bunch of money. Yeah, so she became a business and not, like, an actual teaching. And that's why that you don't make she majors like you used school. To. Oh, that's the worst. No, actually, I'd say charter schools. Would you say she? Yeah, it's like private public. Yeah, she's a charter school. That's Always exactly what this is because charter schools like fly under the radar of how much they fuck everything. Oh, I'm not trying to get into a political. This is not a political thing. Um, so we're gonna get back to that. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> there are a few things I'm very passionate about. You know, usually, it's me that gets yeah. us all listen to that round just by saying off something off the cuff. Yeah, nope, this was, that, that, that hits a sweet spot for me, unfortunately. So, but Nancy, we don't need no education. <laughs> we just need some, I'm not finishing that. <laughs> I almost did, but I'm not because I'm a lady. So anyways, speaking of ladies, so they're not letting magically gifted students, in, or they're letting in non-magically gifted students into this. What do you mean you can't do magic? Like, excuse me. So, but that kind of reminds me of like when you go back to your old high school. Right, and how much like things have changed, and it's like I don't know. I haven't been back to my old high school since I graduated. Well, yeah, I guess you're probably like that like, special case. Like, I've I haven't driven been past it. Like when I've been back home, I've mm-hmm. driven past it, but I have no need to go on campus. Well, have you ever? Okay, so like, let's say from you. From the outside, it looks like the same gray, boring building it was. Okay, so I guess like I've already derailed the conversation, but question. Okay, so maybe, like, when you were in high school, do you ever go back to your middle school? It was next door. So, yes. I walked past it when I was walking home, depending on the route I took. If I took the long way home, I went past it. Otherwise, okay. yeah, it was next door, so okay. I don't always see it. Okay, so this is lost on you. But, like, I know, like, I, I would go back, and it's, like, seeing how things have changed, even since, like, you've been there. And, like, it kind of makes you mad, because it's, like, this place is shit now. But it was, like, still definitely shit while you were there. I mean, like, my high school <laughs> just was a different... And- Type of shit. Just a different type of shit. My high school was shit and probably will still be shit. Right. So. But then, probably one of my favorite scenes happens after all of this, now that I'm going to get us back onto The Witcher, because I've already derailed the conversation. Which one's that? Um, She got them high. She got them tripping on LSD. Yeah, like, she got them fucked up. And I loved it. To the eels. Mm Mm-hmm. So I love, it It was like, oh, she said never to mix herbs, and then she's like, and like she tries to make it into like something, but she's just like, I'm stressed, to, I, I need to get fucked up too, to deal with all this bullshit. So like, she like, like, let me just corrupt them just a little bit. A nice chaotic evil, if you will. And then took them, and like, gave them a good warning, like, this could be you, you could be a fucking eel. So it was very well done. And then she gets caught. Dun dun dun. And then that's when she goes to the court. 
Mm-hmm. You know, her storyline <laughs> in this episode is great. Um, yeah, it's just it's good to see the independent Yennefer. Yeah, because up until this point, and actually like, doing something good, right? And not just for herself. Yeah. So like she's looking out for others, and like she's been burned, and like she like so this is probably the most like Yennefer centric episode I think that we've had so far since her transformation. Yeah. Because everything else has just been really glimpses like into her life and how her life pans into Geralt's life. Yeah. And so then the last couple of episodes they've been together. Right. So this is like, okay, so they're apart now. And like, obviously like she, you know, and like she's done things and we've gotten glimpses like of her growth. This is the first time where we actually get to see her like conduct herself for an extended period of time. And like how she like navigates things and how she views these things and also how important she is just in the overarching thing, you know, scheme of things, because everyone knows Geralt, the, you know, the witcher, you know, Everyone the knows the, the Butcher of Rivia. So, butcher of Blavin. Yes, sorry. Geralt of Rivia. I, I strike that, reverse it. You knew yeah, what I meant. Yeah. But so we actually get to see her actually like having her status in this. I like kind of slight slight jab you get at Yennefer while they're at the council. So when she's there, you know, it's like, you know, you don't, good thing you don't get a vote. You get the vote it all down. But I also like the fact that when she's talking about the herbs, it's, oh, these are the things they don't teach you here. Mm-hmm. And that kind of gets thrown back in her face when Fringilla arrives. Right. And is like, you know, you guys are using this magic and that magic. Well, who's to say it's good or bad magic? Mm-hmm. The things they don't teach there. Yeah. And even that kind of got thrown back at Yennefer, who may not know some of these things. Yeah, because she's still learning. Because, like, at the end of the day, it's like, we know centuries have taken place. I'm but. curious to know what would have happened if Yennefer had actually ended up in Nilfgaard. True. I'd like to see that story. She would probably fuck shit up. Because it's also, to this point too, is like we know she's powerful. Yes. Like, we know she is. But we haven't seen the entire... And it's in the scope, scope of her power. Yeah, we haven't seen the entire spectrum of what she can do. We get glimpses and like how easy... She's able to use her magic without having to sacrifice things, this, that, or the other. It comes very naturally to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but we haven't seen her have her, like, Super Saiyan moment. Right. That's <laughs> the only one I could think of. Well, like, every, every main, like, magic user in any show essentially has their Super Saiyan moment. Where they get that, like, I'm a badass moment that happens once in the blue moon. Yeah. You know, it's the, kind of the, the joke with Dragon Ball is you're waiting for Goku to show up, and then you're waiting for Super Saiyan to show up, and... It only takes 30 episodes to get from point A to point point B to point C. Let's talk about that five-minute fight, though, for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, so her storyline was really good. Um, and we got... We should probably move on I mean, to Maybe something. we should probably talk about Geralt's story for a moment, because... I kind of, We haven't talked about Geralt yet. We, we have not talked about Geralt. Geralt. Geralt? Geralt. <laughs> we haven't talked about him yet. And... I really like him in this episode because he goes for his child of surprise. She's like, okay, he's I'm like, ready. She's okay, mine now. Yeah, I'm ready for my baby. <laughs> She's potty trained. Okay, I'm good to go now. <laughs> and Calanthe's just a straight up bitch. Yeah, I mean that's her, her like her heir, the next in line. This is all she has left of her daughter. It's like I kind of get it, but like at the same time, it's like destiny is destiny, man. Yeah, you don't fuck I, with destiny. I love it. I love. I love Geralt just looking at her and going, so much so you'd sacrifice somebody else's. Yeah. 
Like, just, like, and it's interesting, too, to see, like, the tension between them now, like, up until this point, because, like, you know, like, after the whole Law, law of Surprise thing happened at the at the wedding, basically. Yeah, you used to honor the Law of Surprise, what happened. <laughs> yeah, and it's, like, so you can see, like, how that's, like, created such a rift in that, because it's, like, I, you know, like, what do you do? He's, like, you can't buy me, and you should fucking know that. Mm-hmm. Like. Because, like, they had a history beforehand. He sat at her court for crying out loud. And now he's, like, not even allowed in the castle. So it's like, okay. (laughs) Yeah, because he never came back for Cirilla. Mm -hmm. Like, you knew, but how was he supposed to, one, know when she was born? mm -hmm. Well, I mean, they kind of could have guessed, but he's a busy witcher with many witcher things to do. Yeah. And even they, and they've said it in previous episodes, like, this is not a life for a child. When Geralt and Yennefer are having, like, their, their heart-to-heart moment, like, everything, he's like, this is not a life for a child. And it's like, yeah, he's mm. kind of fucking right. And all of a sudden, yep. here he is going, where's my baby? Yeah. <laughs> Give me my baby. Well, but because the baby's not safe anymore. It's like, okay. Yeah, because and- he, he saw the, the Nilf Guardians yep. marching up. So he's like, hey, Malsack. And for a minute, it took me a second to realize where the timeline was until they got to the castle. Right. Because as soon as I'm like, wait, because all the shit it's thrown and it didn't establish where we were quite at the point where Carol first came into the episode. Mm-hmm. I, was I was like, oh, like, it's one that, of those. I was like, is that Doppelsack? <laughs> Doppelsack, yeah. <laughs> really I, that was my looking. thought, too, though. I was like, oh, shit, it's Doppelsack. And, like, Geralt wouldn't know that it's Doppelsack. Well, he so. might because of the smell. True, because he's but still a witcher. But then when the, when the assassins came around, I was like, okay, no, it's not. It's yeah. actually Malsack. And, like, that, that was, like, the defining, like, timeline. So it's like, okay, we finally connected all the dots now. And if you were smart enough to follow along, you get a gold star. Good job, thing of tears. Yeah, <laughs> we had some trouble at times. Oh, I know, I did. Me and timelines never get along. And I it's like Doctor Who prepared me for timelines. Apparently not. I mean, here's the thing about time travel, right? Oh, we're not. It's not a bunch of timey-wimey. fucked up. <laughs> timey-wimey, wibbly no. wobbly stuff. Time like, travel's not... convoluted because... No matter what you do, you fucked yourself. The second you fuck well, with time. Because I look at the Dragon Ball Super time travel stuff. And again, it's just like, what the fuck? So this whole entire future that happens is a parallel spin-off because Trunks gave Goku his me- the medicine so he didn't die. So now his future is still happening, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So it's an alternate timeline, but now they can jump timelines. But if he goes back to the past, it's crazy. It's dumb. Convolution. Oh, yes. So, so. <laughs> I got off a tangent there for a minute. I hate time travel in shows. Yeah, so it's time travel. But you know. it takes a minute to kind of catch up because they don't quite establish much. The really only defining things we have is how long it was in a certain time with Yennefer mm-hmm. and how long it was established between her and girls meeting. Right. Because also, even with the with the Siri timeline, we we don't know like how long it took from her from her last adventure to get to this town. Basically. And right. to, like, steal the horse. So, like, even, like, her timeline was vague. I mean, it still kind of is. Yeah, but we... Some of the clues start coming together now. Yeah. As to about how long it is. But... We have find out more... Probably find out more in the next episode. Most likely. But they couldn't do all three at once, and I'm also glad that they didn't. Because no. I felt like I got more than enough information, but it was all very satisfying. Had they tried to cram where she fit into all of this this episode, I don't think I would have enjoyed it as much. Because no. I would have felt like there was too much happening at because that point. Because what this episode was, 
already happened in her timeline. Right. Essentially. It was establishing now the current timeline moving forward. So essentially what this show did was the first episode was showing you everything that was just currently going on. To an extent, because Girl yeah. still happened in the past, Jennifer still happened in the past, but Cyrilla's timeline, what it shows you, there was hers moving forward. That was her presence. But so then hers. everybody else's became us. So you're wondering how we got here. Yeah. Is exactly what everybody else's came from. Mm-hmm. And I'm not mad, because what it smartly did was give us forward progress while giving us backstory at the same time. Yes, this, we, we should not dive into that too much until we get to the review. We got two more weeks. Until that happened. Well, a week and then a the week next and an episode. Yes, but depending on how the... you measure time, because <laughs> apparently us and The Witcher do it differently. <laughs> yeah, but like so, there's only two of us. Yes, so we're a little bit easier to follow sometimes. <laughs> but no, I like the fact that the whole time all that shit happened was Cyrilla Groth just chilling yeah. in jail. Yeah, he's all locked up. And he's like, and he's just meditating too. He's like, I got nothing better to do. Like, so I'm just fucking here. But also, too, it's like, I know like, he's, he stayed because it was like he knew that he knew she was right. still there because she she tried to pull the one-two switcheroo on an old witcher and like, oh yeah, this is my granddaughter. Remember who you are? And I so after we found out that she did like a, you know, Mary-Kate and Ashley Ocean, like twin switch, basically, <laughs> mm-hmm. it was like, I'm looking you in the eye and it's like, you are the lioness of... Uh, the lion cub of Sintra and it's like I'm reminding you who you are so you don't fucking forget like after we find so I found that part really funny Yes. in in hindsight it was hilarious (laughs) yes so but I like how smart how Geralt just kind of goes exploring on his own because he's not dumb I mean he's he's learned some stuff she's always kind of say goodbye to my friends and not realizing Sir Witcher was there Mm -hmm. your highness Yep, and that was all you needed. Because the best, and honestly, like, the best type of, you know, protection is just for straight blending in. You know, and that's exactly it. She just blended in with the poor people and they were playing Knuckles. Mm-hmm. Like, and obviously we know, like, that's that's established even, like, later. It's like, we played Knuckles together. Like, what, after she steals the horse. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, like, she gets betrayed. It's like, oh, you're not, you don't have a crime and we're hopping between the two timelines again, but those two overlap a lot more than the Yennefer one in this episode. So, yeah, Cirilla and Geralt's do overlap a lot more in this in these yeah. in this episode because yeah, they're basically on the same scale now. Yes. And while we know what's going on with Yennefer is happening at the same time, she's not there. Yeah, she hasn't gotten there yet, and she won't get there until we get the shit of the war, basically. Yeah. So at least that's. That's my prediction, because I have not seen the next episode. So yes, I'm, <laughs> I did. I haven't had the opportunity to watch ahead on this one like a couple other series that we've In, watched. Meanwhile, I did because my, I had to. My my, how the turns have tabled. Insomnia's a bitch. Yeah, I've actually been sleeping pretty good lately, so I can't complain. I can't complain. Lucky you. Anyway, yes, yeah, so Swirl is a horse thief. Yes, and I don't know if she... Okay, so my vote is on Klopp. As in terms of the name of the horse that she stole out of Clip and Klopp. I think it's Clip. I think it's Klopp. I think it's Clip. <laughs> I, guess, I guess we'll find out. I don't think they'll tell us. <laughs> we'll find out. 
So, but I, I do think it's Klopp, uh, Klopp with like, because of how it reacted. I think it's Clip. Okay. I heard Clips when it watched, not Klopp's. I distinctly heard Clip. No, it's, it's, I think it's Klopp because it's just like, again, like he, he was like, he was like extra horse. He's like, yeah, you got it. Well, either way. So, but she stole that horse from a woman who was like only trying to help. And like, in a way she still did get to help, but just. Not, Not the, the way, way she, she thought. thought. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk a minute about what happened to Cirilla. Because she's seen some shit. Let's... Yeah. 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 So... <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's, let's... So she gets to the town. The woman... The nice woman who's re who has appeared, what, twice to her now? At this point. Because the first time she's like, it's not safe for you here. Or it's not safe to be alone. And she kind of goes about her business. And then she offers to let her ride home with her on Clip and Clop when she finishes her, her marketing. Um, yeah, Clip and Clop while she had her marketing. And then just steals Clip. No, she steals Clop. But she thought about it, too. You know, at least she didn't even go horses, Jif, and Gif. That would have sucked. We would have gotten our answer, because she would have ridden... She would have stolen Jif. Gif. Jif. <laughs> Is Clip and Clop going to be our new Kip and Jeff? Hashtag Team Clop, guys. Show me your support. <laughs> team Clip. Team Clop, man. It just you sounds what, better. But you know what? Money goes in clips, not in clops. I'm going to clop slap you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So yeah, now she meets fellow Sintrans. Mm -hmm. Or does she? Well, they used to be. But see, what had happened was, is when shit started going south, and the queen was losing her power, um, you know, people get mad with that sort of thing. Like, we've seen the camps at this point, because, you know, she's been there, and, like, we've seen the war-torn areas, and, you know, that's been, like, her progression. She was in a safe haven for a little while. So, and then it's like, oh, look what we found. We found the princess. It's like, you know what? Your family fucked us all over. I can see why she got fucked up a little, and, like, roughed her down a little bit. But they didn't really hurt her. No. Like, until, and yeah, until the, until the big climat like, climactic park. But, like, they were... Yeah. Yeah, because they were just, like, fucking with her until then. Like, they are like, oh, let me go through your shit. Like, what do you have? Like, they are pillaging her. And, but no one really, like, hurt her. And then it was, oh, you know, there's a lot of money for you. Yep. And then shit kind of got real. And we got to see... A glimpse of, I think, like, a call to her power. Fuck. Because that was, that was a really creepy, but, like, really good way to end the episode. It was a really well-done scene, but that was really creepy. Like, she's talking in voices and, like, yeah, deeper you, and... Deeper and higher, so, like, you've got, like, that nice, like, creepy, like, chord of speaking. Like, yeah. which, like, I, it sounds bad. Like, it's so creepy, but I love the way that chord speak sounds. Like, when you get that mm -hmm. lower and the higher and, like, meld it. I just, like, to me, it just sounds so nice. Um, and then pair that with, like, the cool, like, camera angles that they took and, like, the editing that they did with it just to kind of, like, show, like, the intensity of the moment for her. is like, because she's also in the middle of a fucking field where she doesn't have to, like, control herself anymore. Right. And this is almost like a do or die. So, like, we get to see her Super Saiyan moment in the next episode. Yes. Which I'm excited for. And I think, therefore I am, um, but I think... That, that's how uh, Geralt's going to find her, is the ramifications of that big, boomy voice. 
But that's my prediction. I can't say anything. Which is fair. Yeah, I say I can't say anything, so I won't. Yeah, because I didn't cheat, so I can make yeah. some predictions. Unlike some people. Well, <laughs> yes and no, because here's one for you. Good. Um, what do you think here about about a theory? So, little thing we pulled up to kind of get points on. I had to pose a question. Okay. To paraphrase it, it's, what would have happened if Calanthe had maybe honored the Law of Surprise? I don't think the kingdom would have fallen. Good point. Maybe. Because that's what happens when you mess with destiny. So, that that's kind of my thought with it. I think the kingdom wouldn't have fallen, and everyone would have after. And then Yennefer and Geralt and Ciri would have, you know, been able to raise her. And Maybe, maybe not. Who knows? I guess we'll have to find out. But I do have one last thing before we wrap up. What's that? We- no, no, just kidding. I'm missing my bard boy. As a bard, I'm personally offended. And, like, they're lucky I'm not going to boycott one episode because I'm too committed. Right. If I had more integrity, I would. Bring back Jaskier. All right, thank you, Tears. Have you ever wondered where you could be the first to find our uploads? Well, wonder no more. Check out our main Anchor page. It's anchor.fm forward slash a thing bod. While you're there, make sure to check out our links to Facebook and Twitter that are going to be pinned right up at the top of the page near the podcast description. And with moving, I guess, into another timeline, let's talk some hunters. Yes, episode two. It was so good. I like this one a lot. Yeah, episode two was actually was really good. Um, it was fun. It was a fun episode. You got the comic book highlights, the like movie trailer. We got to see a bar mitzvah. Bat mitzvah. <laughs> Really? I thought it was bar mitzvah. There's a difference between a bar and a bat mitzvah, and it all depends on your gender. Ah, okay. I'm learning things. I, I will say this one thing I'm very much appreciating about hunters so far is I'm learning so much more about, like, Jewish culture via the show, which is kind of cool. Yeah. I still appreciate the Yiddishisms. <laughs> the idioms, if you will. <laughs> no, they're Yiddishisms. That's actually the term. I know. I was just making a. Let me let me try to be funny on the internet. God, homie, you laughing at your own jokes doesn't count. Dude, I find myself hilarious, and maybe fifty percent of our two listeners do too. So <laughs> maybe that's a hard maybe. Let us for know some reason, comments. you keep me as your co- your your co-host. So, oh hey, yeah, announcement. By the way, co-host auditions are opening up. Listen, <laughs> we're not doing this today. You and I can duke this out later because we have hunters we need to talk about. Well, it's perfect. We're we're beginning a hunt. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Always fired. But you Always. can't fire me. Who else would edit this show? I could probably find someone on Fiverr. That assumes you can afford it. I just go to like the... It doesn't have to be good editing. It just has to be editing. It's like, this is what I need. Here's $5 an episode. Bam. 
Good luck with that. Maybe it'll be the perfect time for me to branch off into my own YouTube channel. Anyways. <laughs> so, I mean, we totally could, but I just, we, we still need to get ours started. <laughs> so, we have Hunters opening up this this episode. So, with episode two, we have a very interesting scene of a Nazi officer making Nazi prison or making Jewish prisoners play music. Yeah, so it opens up with them, with him, and he's making them play some German songs, just some songs for the Nazi officers. But then they decide to play Hava Nagila. And are shot one by one as they refuse to play it. Yeah, that was that was really. I'm, it was heavy, but it was very like inspirational, especially as the rest of the prisoners are now like walking away again, and they're actually humming the sound again to uh -huh. kind of give like a little resurgence of hope that it is not all lost. The show hits on like a lot of very deep notes for it being really. Yes, it hits on a lot of deep notes, and some of these scenes resonate for a lot of different reasons. That one just was really did show the strength and solidarity they had during that time. Yeah, because if you and don't have each other, to, then you've got nothing. Right. And then we get to the kicker of the episode, where it becomes an argument of whether or not Jonah's worthy. And that's pretty much the entire rest of the episode. A little bit. Like, this is... With, with, we're with giving you a trial run. Yeah. A little bit of creepypasta. But we got the... You get to... You, you get your trial run. This is before you actually, like, download the premium. Like, here's your free trial before you start your subscription into killing Nazis. So you're saying this is the demo? It might be the demo. Be a pretty good demo. <laughs> I'd say so. So I like, so I do like the way that everything gets introduced. All the characters now of our Rapscallion team. Yes, we meet them all, and it's kind of like in the men in kind of like a Quentin Tarantino style montage that they did with like the flashy title cards for each character. You get Sister Harriet, who's former MI6 and head of their logistics. Lonnie Flash, the master of disguise movie star, which his name is. He actually says his name in the episode, and now I can't remember it. His last name is Flaschenstein, but I can't remember what it's for. I think it was Leonard Flaschenstein was his actual sounds, name, Lonnie Flash. That, <laughs> it does sound like a very Jewish name. Right. Roxy, black power activist, criminal specialist. Joe, the Vietnam vet combat expert. And Murray or Mindy, Holocaust survivors. And basically, they're their MacGyvers. Yeah, I'd say so. And, and of course, Meyer is... The money. The money and the head of the operation, like, you know. Yep. And apparently the lawyer. Yeah, he's he's got many hats that he has to wear through all of this. I wanna know how he got his fortune. I hope that we dive into that because that's gonna be very important. Right. I think. Yeah. I, I, I think it's important for establishing like motivations and stuff like that. And obviously his rise to wealth is gonna be 
one of the reasons why he's able to do what he can do. Makes sense for Lonnie. He's a movie star. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Roxy's the only one getting paid, which I thought was interesting that they decided to bring that up as well. Mm-hmm. She's technically the only one that's hired. Yeah, the rest of them are just doing it. The rest of them are volunteers. <laughs> yeah. And how did he get all of these people together? In the most Jewish way possible. <laughs> he went to the matchmaker. Yeah. So, okay. I have a, I have a question because, okay. as, as I mentioned earlier, is Jewish matchmaking a real thing? Yes. Huh. Yes, it is. How and and why? Well, I mean, I guess what the, to the point of what the movie said and making more Jewish lives. Yes, but. and that is the 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 point of them now. And it's it's really f- weird to explain it like this, but a lot of people both in Judaism only will marry, of course, Jews, and the reason being to keep the lineage alive. To keep the religion alive and keep that going. Okay. They don't really marry out. <laughs> that makes sense. I mean, you gotta you got a lot of ground to cover and a lot of ground to make up. Correct. So it's, it's okay. Like they had that's what that that whole scene there, which is a powerful moment as it was with her talking about that, you know, she made X amount of matches and how many babies were born from it versus how many had died. Yeah, that number and just the fact that she had it down to the the first, you know, the first place of just way down to that last one she counted. And I was like, oh, that's a very specific number. Not like, oh, we only, you know, out of like, you know, six million plus. It's like, no, this is how many to the T. Oh. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but so after the origin story of them, you see them go about doing some research on Holstetter in the archive room that they built called the Ark. Very fitting. That Ruth built. Mm-hmm. The classified document interviewing hundreds upon hundreds of survivors. And then all to guard against the extinction of truth and memory. Yeah. And? It's important. And this is also, this is where my biggest issue with the entire episode was. Or like came to fruition, I'll say. Okay. And that's just because Lonnie Flash is played by Josh Rayner, who mm-hmm. is Ted Bosby and How I Met Your Mother. And everyone who is a How I Met Your Mother fan knows it's pronounced encyclopedia. He said it wrong. (laughs) But he's playing a different role. It doesn't matter. It's encyclopedia. (laughs) The fact that he even said the word encyclopedia, encyclopedia, you know, made me feel a little better. Because that was a very defining trait. For Ted Mosby in the How I Met Your Mother series, like they mentioned it at least once every other season or so, sometimes every season, but just like how weird it was that he would say it that way. But I was a little salty. It's like, oh, come on, man, you had one shot to just kind of sneak it in there and you didn't. Master of disguise, my ass. Right. <laughs> so, anyways, you find out that Halstetter was 
the radio MC, was the MC at, at Birkenwald. And that every Shabbos, he would round up prisoners and make them sing for their lives. If they were off key, if they got the words wrong, stuttered, any little reason until only one was left. So they find out where he is and set off on the hunt. It's great. Yeah, we get we get our we get our first taste of as to what they actually do in terms of planning and execution. And what I'm assuming, seeing the show, how it's going to be kind of set up moving forward as what's going to drive each episode. Right. Like this is how we do, you know, we do our research and we kind of like stake it out and then we infiltrate and then we go. And also I like the, I like the way that um, he was dealt with, uh, Carl Holstetter. I thought it was very... Ever, everything that I've seen so far in terms of these two episodes with the deaths have all been very either symbolic or had to do with the person. The deaths so far have all had one common connection. What's that connection? Well, Obviously, the connection is Jonah, but the fact is, two of them—the ones that Meyer has that have been killed—like excluding his grandmother, who sets kind of up what's going on, right? The other two were him getting his ass saved. Yeah, because because he fucked up. He done goofed. So, yeah, we cut ahead. Of course, he—I I do like the. Confronting him with this. I do like when they actually confront him with his crimes and explain that, you know, they're not the judge and the jury, that they're just the jury and that, you know, the judge is the six million. Yeah. So they're, they're merely, they're merely messengers in all of this. (laughs) And then they find out that he's broadcasting a signal. What kind of signal? German nursery rhymes. So they torture him to find out and blow his eardrums. Yep. And then he gets shot. (laughs) Yes, but I do like that they blew his eardrums out. I thought that was like, that's like the one thing that he had. And like, even like with the story of him going off about like how his dad was like, you couldn't even hum without getting your ass beat. And I can finally have the music. And he's like, I I never wanted to hurt anybody. I was just following orders. And then he goes deaf. So he loses the one thing. And we we could talk about the whole orders thing. Yeah, but yeah, he That's... he made the prisoner <laughs> sing so that he could hear music. His guilt had made him deaf too. Mm-hmm. Jonah gives him water, and then he <laughs> breaks, which he breaks and uses it to escape. He breaks the glass and escapes. Okay, so and gets shot. <laughs> I need to. So I need to make this call out really quick, just mm-hmm. because I made the connection while I was watching it. Because that's exactly. The same fucking situation that happened in the boys where um where what's his face from the boys? It's it's been a while since we've watched it. I'm a little rusty on the names. I'm trying to figure out what you're referencing the, to. Like the this The Invisible Guy? Yeah, with the, the Invisible, invisible Guy. Like, yeah, with the Invisible Man. It's like, oh, we gave him water and then it kind of ruined everything. It's like the exact same situation, except you know. 
things are tied around, but it's the the newcomer to this gritty, like underground killing of, you know, whatever dominant party or, you know, evil party. And the newcomer is tricked in his first go at anything and tries to give the, the bad guy the water and almost dies in the process. It's the same thing. Gotcha. Yeah, it's. And they're both Amazon. I don't know. They <laughs> so. are. I mean, it's. <laughs> yeah. I'm so, just saying. Joe rushes in, shoots Hostetter in the head, bullet goes through the wall, into the room, breaks the equipment, ends the broadcast, phone rings immediately, something's wrong, they leave. So then they go to Minion <laughs> and say Kaddish, like any good Jew. What is um saying? So what is saying? Kaddish. Give me. Mourner's Kaddish some... is just at its prayer for the dead. Okay. You say it when someone dies for, and you say it during the Shiva period, and then you say it during their yard sites. So they were honoring Ruth. Would be my guess is who they were saying it for, since it would still be during the period of Shiva. But Jonah asks if he can say cottage for Hostetter. And then runs home. It's just... I do like the scene where it's him and the ringing in his ears. The product of, you know, all the ringing in his ears that whole time. Because he just yes. runs home and then just the ringing in his ears. Yeah, and it's... And it's cool, too, just because of what um, Holstetter had said about ears ringing. And it's like, oh, you'll hear it, too. And that's why I need the music. And and then it kind of like calls to him a little bit. And it's really affecting him because obviously he had this big traumatic moment. He just watched another person die. like, mm -hmm. And he had to vom everywhere. So it was a very, very, he kind of got under my skin kind of scene. But I very much enjoyed it. Meanwhile, speaking of so getting that, under your skin, <laughs> so do we want to save that for last and talk about our FBI agent? We should probably catch wanna, up with her. We want to talk about the creepy pasta. Um, or should I say the creepy nut? I say we start with Agent Morris. Morris. I think Agent Morris is a good idea since it, it does tie more into it does tie into it. So Agent Morris confides into the local contact, Detective Summers, and that she found that photo of Ruth in, at the end of episode one where she's with Hitler as a Nazi. Maybe she had something to do with the gas chambers. It's completely possible. She was gassed after all. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> Then she finds out she has a brother. So Gretel has a brother named Hans. Ha 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 ha. Yeah, ha. I saw that. Clever, clever. But then Hans's wife tells her he died in a car accident. It looked like his teeth had been punched in. And then she finds Which... the teeth. So you start kind of catching on with the with the hunters that they killed them with the use with the kind of the things that they used to torture the Jews. 
It's called karma. Well, yes, but <laughs> you clearly see the hunter's intent is it is very personal. Yes. Something like this couldn't not be personal, though. I really... <laughs> so Morris goes back to New York. Her contact in immigration says that Hans and Gretel's files are empty. Like, there's nothing in them. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I kind of got things out of order. Then she found out that, she was in a car, that he was in a car accident with an explosion that blew his teeth clear out of his mouth. Yep. And then you find out that the wife's pretty anti-Semitic. Yeah. She's like, what do you think of Jews? What does anyone think of Jews? Jeez. You're Jews. Jews. Like, I was just like, oh, you're one of those. Okay. Yeah. So she goes home. You find out that, you know, she, you, she gets home. She's greeted by her partner. And then... You know, she's talking, you know, they... She confides in her the kind of the just talking about the story of Hansel and Gretel and then making a connection that maybe the witch was a Jew. Yeah. Interesting retelling. But I mean, the witch does end up in the oven after. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but it, you know, it's a look at the connection. Yeah. And then we have Travis. Oh boy. <laughs> Let's talk about Travis and the Nazis. I think one of my favorites here. And one of my favorite was, plot lines, hands down, is gonna that be his. Was He's so, so just unsettling. Like I appreciate the conversation. It really sets up his character of the he doesn't just he doesn't care. You're not pure. You have something wrong with you. He has no qualms about that and getting rid of it. But just like that whole time I'm sitting there going, he's going to offer the kid a peanut or he's just going to give him one. Yeah, something to shut the kid up. But I like that, though. It's like peanuts. Peanuts. No, he has an allergy. I'll take some. (laughs) You dick. See, and now if you have a peanut allergy on a plane, like they don't even serve it. You get those weird little biscuits instead. Crackers. I don't even think they serve peanuts on planes anymore. They do. I've been on a couple flights that. Well, I've been on a couple flights where like they just serve them, but I know that if like someone mentions that they have a peanut allergy, like when they're booking their ticket, that they're just nowhere. Right. At least that's what I know of them. But I know a couple people that have nut allergies, so it's something that's on my my radar. I get it. So. Yeah, that p- whole conversation with the peanut, though, was just... Just enough to get under or... Yeah, you know, did you know that allergies are just a man-made fabrication? And then back in... <laughs> back in the days when, you know, nature ruled, the weak used to be weeded out. It was called survival of the fittest. And right there, I was like, oh, you Aryan. You Aryan bastard. That's exactly what he is, and he's he is going to be such a wild card because the like between him again between him beating a motherfucker with a bowling ball, shooting a flamingo. <laughs> we haven't gotten there yet because then he's flying to Florida, goes to Somers's house, holds them captive, terrorizes them, shoots his I'm assuming his mom, 
I think. Like in the leg or in the foot. And then shoots his pregnant wife in the foot. Gets what he wants to go find Morris, but the way they leave that, I'm assuming they're dead. Well, I don't know. I don't think I because would... at the same time, there's a political there's a political thing that happens with all of this, and like having an F an FBI investigator just dead well, might might put the heat on him versus like because yeah he was there and he could see his face but he doesn't know this man from adam and he can start looking for him but by the time he's gone i mean by the time he does he finds him no i i think they're dead i don't think they are i think they're dead i guess we're gonna find out in the next episode because travis doesn't look like a man who would leave loose ends well there's also a difference he's the man who cleans up loose ends he does clean up loose ends, and but he also he, can't rock the boat. That's the thing, is he's got to be very covert. It's 1970s and, America in Florida in three black and in, in three colored um, folk are just mysteriously dead. I don't think anybody would have batted an eye back then. I work for the FBI. Yeah, that's, there's, that, he's not that's an like FBI, a, he's just a detective. He's not an agent, he's just a detective. Mm. But he was just the contact. Oh, yeah. He's still law enforcement, but he's still law enforcement, but he's not FBI. And this is 1970s South. Yeah, he's dead. (laughs) So it's a good possibility that he is dead just based on the geographical location, unfortunately, and the mindset at the time. Okay, fair enough. And then you get the blackmail scene. (laughs) Yes. We're going to end on the blackmail scene this week because. Captain Kirk and Mr. Spot got caught in a precarious situation. Oh my god. <laughs> so basically, um our who I'm going to say as I, I'm I'm putting this on the ether, this is this is what I'm putting my money on, my money on is Hitler's wife. Ava Braun, his girlfriend, not his wife. Or his girlfriend, I'm sorry. And I'm on I, I think I'm on that train with you. I think I am, even though she's supposed to be dead. I think you're right. Yeah, so I think, so she walks in. Um, and she walks in, has someone take a photo as, as this, as. Senator. How do I want to, how do I want to put this? <laughs> this portly old senator. Is yeah, there's a good way to put is it. getting pounded in the rear end by a dashing young lad yes i wonder how much he paid him because i don't think that man is into bears like that i don't know i mean they're just you know passing some legislation yeah just two this is just a contract between two politicians that's all it is nothing crazy this is what happens all the time right you know they're just into that role play because he wants mr spock to call him captain kirk so they can use his uh, tractor beam to get them to the Enterprise. <laughs> See, I don't Star Trek, so I don't... <laughs> you know, that's tomb to beam. So, but it was a whole awkward but hilarious situation. And basically, they got their negotiation. They got their bargaining chips. 
Yep. Like, unless you want these photos plastered everywhere, you're going to loosen. You're going to loosen trade, trade restrictions, restrictions with South America. South America. Yep. Pum pum pum. And that was Hunters this week. So, if Ava Braun's still alive, is Hitler still alive? I don't think so. Like, is this like going to take place like a man in a high castle on us, where it's alternate reality? Hitler's still alive, but uh, like in, like in a syphilis coma, uh, living down in maybe? Argentina. I mean, like they in do a need bungalow. To... Yeah, and then they're going to ship Hitler in a bucket, which is why they need the trade restrictions to loosen a little bit. Like he's hanging out down there with the cryogenically frozen Walt Disney. Who was also anti I'm sure they'd be best friends because he was an anti-Semite too. <laughs> so on that note, we will end our little political dias there. And uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's actually where we're gonna be ending the episode. So <laughs> um, until next week they get tears. <laughs> Don't sue us, Disney. 